Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul, in our text today, is beginning by saying that he's working together with him, that's God. He is a servant of the Lord, as we saw in the text yesterday, that that Paul is a new creation, as are all those who believe in Jesus Christ and that we are ambassadors of God, that we are going into the world sharing this goodness of of Christ and his love for us, his forgiveness and salvation, and a life that never ends, in hopes that others will be reconciled, that they will repent and, and, and join us in that, that gift that Christ has given. So Paul is working with God, and he's appealing to the Corinthians. We saw that again yesterday at the end of the text in verse 20, that he was appealing to them to be reconciled to God. Now immediately here he says, because they, well, he's appealing that they would not receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, that they would not reject it, that they would not ignore it. There is still something amiss in Corinth, and it hasn't truly fully been identified here by Paul. He's not really laid it out for us as the reader at this point in the letter. We have seen all the divisions in Corinth in the first letter. And in the second letter, we see that there was somebody that they have, in a sense, excommunicated from their congregation, that they were no longer 
working with, and Paul is encouraging them to welcome that person back in love. It sounds like that individual has repented and it's time for them to receive him. Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. God hears our prayer. God saves us. In a favorable time, I listened to you in a day of salvation. I have helped you. In Isaiah's context, you can think of this and imagine this within the the idea of God's people being taken off into captivity because of their faithlessness. They cry out to the Lord in that captivity and God delivers them. But this has such a more profound meaning for us, the New Testament people of God. And this is a question you can direct to your children. When is this day of salvation? When did God hear our prayer? And how did he answer it? This is a reference to Jesus Christ who who came into this world because he heard our pleas. He knew our sin and our need for deliverance and he came. He came down into his creation and he defeated our sins. He carried them for us onto that cross on Good Friday. And so Paul very boldly and truthfully declares, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. God has heard our prayers. God has delivered us. Now Paul's going to spend the rest of that paragraph talking about how God has used him, right? So God makes his appeal through us. Yesterday, chapter uh, three, sorry, chapter five, verse twenty. Now Paul's going to show that in every way, they are serving God no matter what the outcome. There's a list of bad things that happen to him here in verses four and five. Verses six and seven are a list of of good things. And then verses 8 through 10 are a list of things that are both, like both things are happening at the same time. I would encourage you, as you work with your kids on this section, to pick a few to talk about. If your kids are older, maybe you let them pick the ones that they want to talk about and hear more about endurance. So let's go through the list quickly. Uh, Endurance is the idea that no matter what they have endured, No matter what they've experienced, they keep going. They press on. Affliction, hardship, calamity, beating, imprisonment. Lots of these things have happened to Paul. As he's gone about the missionary journeys, he has been attacked. He's been verbally um, chased out of town with with insults. Um, He's been stoned to the point of death, although he barely survived. Uh, We can thank the Lord for that, that he continued in faithful service. Lots of these things have happened. He's been thrown in prison. He's seen the riot in Ephesus. He's dealt with these things. On the flip side of that, he talks about the qualities of of service, purity, that we go about speaking the truth, knowledge, so we have to know God's word, patience. It takes patience to endure the things that the world throws at you. He needed much patience to get through those those various afflictions. Kindness. What a weapon kindness is against those, those beatings, for example. And that opens up doors to preach the gospel when they see you being kind even in response to their evil. 
through the Holy Spirit, so the Spirit working to continue the work of his church, growth of his church in the, the early times. Genuine love. Genuine, true, real. That Paul, even to the people that are harming him and hate him, Paul genuinely loves them. He cares for them. He doesn't want them to to perish. He doesn't want them to burn in hell. He wants to see them repent and believe in the gospel as he does. Truthful speech, God's power, certainly. The weapons of righteousness. The study Bible suggests here we think of word and sacrament. That's probably not a bad guess. I mean, you think of the the word, God's word being described as a double-edged sword. Um, now, a double-edged sword may have been a one-handed weapon, could have been a two-handed weapon. You think of wielding a, a larger sword with both hands. But I think adding in the sacraments is a good way to go, as that is truly a, a weapon that the Lord uses to crush our sins. And I don't mean that in the law sense. I mean the forgiveness, right? The the guilt and the shame, the despair of our sin. And, and the Lord slays that guilt. He slays that shame. He takes it away from us by that forgiveness that Christ won on the cross. The word pairings. Honor and dishonor, those obviously go together. Slander and praise. So while they're being slandered, while there are those speaking evil of them, there are also those on the other side. And we saw that on the missionary journey. As Paul went around sharing the gospel, there were those who reviled him and slandered him and spoke every evil they could think to, to say. And yet there were still others in those communities that heard the word and believed. And they rejoiced to God that they were now his people, saved by him. Imposters? yet true. An imposter is a, a fake, a liar, a deceiver. And so the world treats them that way, but they speak truth. Unknown, yet well-known, so the world does not know them. This is something John picks up on in his first epistle to the church. As you read that one through, you'll see this kind of speech. The world, the world does not know us because it does not know God the Father, and we are in him. So, the world To the world we are unknown, but to God we are well known. It's a reference there. Dying and yet we live. Same thing. In the world's eyes, we are dying. You know, the, the Christian faith is a, a faith of meekness. We are weak. And these bodies are failing us. And in the midst of those beatings and imprisonments, yeah, it certainly looked even more so. But yet Paul knows he lives. And he gets to live forevermore, and nothing that they do can stop that. Punished, yet not killed. That one's a simple truth, right? He has been punished for sharing the gospel, but he has continued to endure. Uh, the Lord has spared him so that he may keep serving and keep sharing that good news. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So full of sorrows. Sadness at the state of the brokenness of those that, that oppose them. Certainly one rep way to take that phrase, perhaps even sad just at the, the brokenness and the pain and the suffering that they're going through, but even in those moments, they still rejoice. They still have joy. That's what rejoicing means, is to still have joy, um, to give thanks for that joy, because that joy is Christ. That is the gift of life that cannot be taken away, and so they rejoice even in sorrow. 
Um, if you've ever been through grief, if you've ever mourned a fellow Christian's death, maybe it was a close, immediate family member or a parent, you know this one, right? You've rejoiced in the midst of sorrow because you know that they're with Christ. You know that there is a resurrection, that there is hope. Poor, yet making many rich. Poor in the worldly sense. Rejecting the things of this world, rather seeking to serve however they can, and yet they're making others rich. They don't have money to give away. But as I think it was Peter said to the the man born lame in Acts chapter 3, what I do have I give to you. And he gave him the blessing of Jesus Christ. And that man was healed and was able to walk from that point forward, but the richness here is Christ. You may not have things here in this world, but by having Christ, you have paradise. And there you are. Well, you're a co-heir. You reign together with Jesus. And the, the creation which belongs to him is also yours. So again, the, oh, sorry, the last one, I missed one. Having nothing yet possessing everything. That, that finishes that same thought. You know, you can have everything taken away from you in this world and in this life, and yet you still possess everything because everything belongs to God. So this again can be taken, the nothing is referring to worldly goods, but the everything referring to, to paradise, all that we have in Christ. So pick a couple of these and unpack them with your kids, whatever you want to talk about or whatever they want to talk about. And note how this is the meaning of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, one of the terribly abused verses in Scripture by our current culture. And by that, I mean current church culture, American Christianity. I can do all things through God who strengthens me or God who gives me strength. It is not a silly sports slogan to champion around. It does not mean that if you jump off a cliff, you can suddenly fly. It is this endurance. You can endure everything in this world because it is the Lord who supports you. Whether you're poor or rich, well-fed or starving, as Christians, we can endure. We can continue to serve for another day because it is the Lord who gives us strength. Paul then says that his heart is open wide. Our heart, referring to the others who have helped, including probably Timothy, who he's composed this letter with. He's held nothing back. right? He has loved them fully. He has poured the gospel out into their church, into their community, and genuine love, genuinely concerned about their well-being and their salvation. He has done nothing to restrict the Corinthians from having that same love back. But they are restricted. The gospel has been fully poured out upon them, and yet they hesitate to be so loving and to be so open as to endure everything of that previous paragraph. The bad, the good, and both. They're holding out. They are in danger of not receiving the grace. Sorry, they're in danger of receiving the grace of God in vain. By continuing to live a worldly life rather than that genuine love for their neighbor that endures all things.
And so Paul calls them out of that worldly life. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's not a reference to marriage. Although it is a valuable marriage lesson for our families. Do not marry outside of the Christian faith. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So we're not going back there. This is instead the idea of, of life. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not partner with them. Do not run a business with them. Do not share in, in your life with them. What fellowship has light with darkness? Or Christ with Belial, a false god? The yoked idea is putting a burden upon an animal. So if you think of an ox that's pulling a cart or a plow, typically they would do that in pairs. And so you've got this yoke, this this wooden harness placed over the neck of two animals to pull whatever it is that they're pulling. And if you do two like animals, that pulling works really well, right? If it's two Clydesdales or if it's two oxen, whatever it may be, they work together well. But if you yoke different animals together, it's going to be a disaster. If you put a large horse like a Clydesdale together with a little donkey, you're going to get a very odd result. They don't walk the same speed. They don't pull the same speed. They don't pull the same weight. And the outcome is going to be not good, maybe even dangerous to the animals and the machinery. So that's kind of the the picture that Paul has in his mind here and that the people would have understood pretty easily at that time. Um, we We don't have a lot of yoking going on in our 21st century American context. You see, is there a quick analogy I can consider here? Probably the technology world would fit that. You're not going to buy a new laptop at the store and then say, I'm going to speed it up, I'm going to add some RAM to it and take a piece of RAM from 1998 and try to stick it in that laptop. It's not going to be compatible. It's not going to work. Even if you can get something to fit, which it probably wouldn't anyway, but even if you could get a a new piece of technology to fit into the older tech, it's not going to work well. It's not going to do what it was made to do. So technology might be a helpful reference here, although it's we're not saying we're better or worse, so don't don't get that picture. We just, we are the temple of the living God. We are called apart. We are called out. So in this, the rest of this, it's Old Testament quotations for this chapter. You've got Leviticus 26.12, Isaiah 48.20 and Isaiah 52.11 are all in play here. God has made his dwelling among us. Ask your children, how did he do that? John in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, refers to this as Jesus, that the word of God took on flesh and dwelled among us. God did. He became our God, we his people, he walked among us, Jesus Christ in the flesh, and he calls us out of the world. Go out from their midst. 
In Isaiah's context, it's a reference to Babylon and to the Jews being set free and returning home. But we have this, this knowledge that we are not of the world. We are in it, right? And you can't just abandon the world and, and become a monk and run away. That's not the point here. But the point here is to recognize that we are not one and the same as our neighbor. We are ambassadors. We have something to offer them that is of untold value. And so we share it. But we don't go about our lives living as though we're the same. We don't live in our culture as though we are of the culture and we do the things that everybody else does. We're ambassadors. This is not our home. And we have the greatest gift in the world to give. So we serve together.